0: Well, welcome, everybody. It's Sunday night, and we still do church every Sunday night as best we can under these circumstances. We're in a study called Soul Food, the things you need to know about your Bible. And the title tonight is Training in Righteousness, Living in God's Gymnasium. Get a Bible wherever you are. Let's study this text we've been working through, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. That's what we've looked at so far. And for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So just to kind of paint the big picture, what we're looking at in this series right now is how this This precious Bible, the Word, breathed out by God, Paul says, how does that become profitable in my life? So it isn't just a matter of reading it, but profiting from it. The prophet is making me, making you, making me into a man of God. I'm interested in that. And so there are these steps, four steps, that we've been studying Teaching, reproof, correction, and tonight, training in righteousness. And I, I, the, the big thought here is that God has a plan for making his word productive, profitable. That's the word Paul uses in the text. God has a plan for making the word profitable. So, so it isn't random, it isn't accidental, there's a way in which... This book starts to live and breathe and function the way God wants it to function in my life. So we need to know the process that the Spirit uses with the Word so I don't short-circuit the fruitfulness that God wants to bring. I don't, I don't want to just read it as a dead religious routine. I want to receive profit from it. So the fourth step, the one we're looking at tonight, there's teaching, reproof, Correction, and now tonight, training in righteousness. But here's what I want to do first tonight. In fact, for the whole study tonight, I want to look at that word righteous because it's training in righteousness. That's the fourth step. And I think we need to uh, establish firmly in our own minds the way that word righteous and righteousness, the way that is used, particularly in the New Testament, because it's used in different ways. So there's really only point number one, and there's only going to be point number one, and then a number of subpoints. But the first point here is, we need to make sure, as we read our Bibles, we need to make sure that we understand the different ways that word righteous, or righteousness, is used in the Scriptures. So that's going to be the first point of all of tonight's teaching and a little bit next week as well. And the reason is simple. There's a, there's a theology of righteousness that gets unfolded, particularly in the New Testament. And I think it's because the way in which the meaning of this word gets processed, especially in the New Testament, because it isn't always thought through that the average understanding that a lot of people have about the way righteousness works is this. Bad people, wicked people will be judged in hell. Well, that's if hell is even allowed. Bad people will be judged in hell. Good people will go to heaven. And we need to be clear that that's, that's really a, a, a shallowed out and not very accurate understanding. One of the reasons people in this world and very many in the church, the reason they have a, a very slight and light understanding of sin and the need for salvation through Jesus Christ is, is they have this limited grasp of the term righteousness as it's used in the Bible. So that's what I want to study tonight. The word, the concept of righteousness. There are three in the New Testament. One of them is negative, negative. Two of them are positive. And what I want to do tonight, and this is all we'll do tonight, I want to look at the negative side, what the Bible calls self-righteousness. So that's point A under point one. The Bible talks about self-righteousness. Let me give you some texts. Look these up. I think they'll help to paint a clearer picture in your thoughts. Isaiah, I'll do one from the Old Testament and one from the New. Isaiah 64, 6. The prophet writes... We have all become like one who is unclean, and and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. That's not their bad deeds, that's their righteous deeds. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Or look at these really clear words from the Apostle Paul, Romans 10, 3, and 4. You have to jump into um, the middle of an argument that he's unpacking, but I think you can see his thought here. Romans 10, 3, and 4. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God. That's an important phrase. There's a righteousness that comes from God. Being ignorant of that and seeking to establish their own that is their own righteousness. Though Paul doesn't repeat the word, that's what he means. Seeking to establish their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now there's a lot there, but but the striking common feature of those words of scripture is is the way they're directed at people who, in an outward state, are working toward, trying to find, pursuing, a certain brand of righteousness. Good behavior, good works, good deeds. Probably the best description of that righteousness is in that Romans 10 passage that I read, where, where Paul defines the kind of righteousness, it is still the kind of righteousness most admired by the person on the street. It's the righteousness of people who want to make uh, self-improvement, maybe even an approach to God, the Creator, as they perceive Him to be, but without acknowledging Jesus Christ and the role of Christ and His death on the cross. So so even if they don't think the process through in those religious terms, they uh, seek to establish their credibility before others and before God, Morally, on on the basis of of, uh, good deeds, good works. Look at that Romans 10 passage again. Romans 10, 3 and 4. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own. So there's this, this contrast, ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God, seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. So there's a, submit means there's a humility required. You, you, you have to admit something. They didn't do that. They didn't want to do that. For, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So there are the two trademarks of the, what, religion of the common man. He ignores Jesus Christ, that's what Paul says. Ignores Jesus Christ and seeks to establish his own standard of pleasing God. He he creates a God, not the God of the New Testament, not the God of the Scriptures, but he creates a God who will be pleased, who will be satisfied, pacified by those human virtues of tolerance, charity, being true to oneself, trying our best, sincerity. So please don't think that Paul's words in those verses from Romans 10, please don't think of them as just being of some vague theological interest. They, they encapsulate an attitude that can easily develop right in the church if we're not careful. People who don't worry if they ever darken the door for worship will tell me how much they love Jesus. People who couldn't find most of the books of the Bible tell you how much they love Jesus. People who never take time to seek God will tell me how much they love Jesus. People who are sexually immoral will tell you how much they love Jesus. They've, they've established their own righteousness, their own definition of love for Christ. And and it's easy, if you're not careful, to actually think that just by professing that kind of righteousness, you can create righteousness before God. And and you can't. There's a a biblical truth still that is uh, so deeply offensive to the unregenerate mind. And, And here it is. God is not obligated to accept whatever I offer to him in terms of my own righteousness. The offense of the gospel still is that when God isn't approached on his terms, his own terms, not mine, whatever I offer him is unacceptable, even if it's my best. This is the lesson God has been trying to teach from the beginning of time. We have no excuse, really, except our own unwillingness to read it and agree with it and understand it. Any true conversion experience has to come to terms with the sinfulness of any kind of spiritual pursuit, any kind of of holiness pursuit, any, any form of good deeds that leave the saving work and the lordship of Jesus Christ out of the picture. So so not even religious devotion, not even my best religious devotion, apart from the work of Christ and my standing on that, none of my good works have any saving value. They're called dead works. It's another term used for it in the scripture. Lifeless. Not that they can't benefit society, but they can't make me right with God. They're dead in that respect. God's been reinforcing this truth right from the very first expressions of religion in the scriptures, right from the offerings of Cain and Abel. We learn that God is not obligated just to accept whatever we want to offer him on our own terms. Sincerity doesn't create acceptance. This is the Bible's answer. By the way, this is the Bible's answer to those questions people have about, about the need for nice people to hear about Jesus and accept his grace and his lordship and be saved. Of course your unsaved neighbor is nice. He might be nicer than you. He might be very polite. He may give more money to the poor than you do. He may hold his own beliefs about God and about morality and different religions with great sincerity and devoutness. But the righteousness that comes from God through Jesus Christ, if you leave that out, then whatever else you offer, the best we have to offer, will leave us eternally on the outside. This is what Jesus was referring to in there's a passage, we won't look it up, but in Matthew 23, he, he accused the Pharisees of being the sons of those who killed the prophets. The Pharisees, the most outwardly religious, albeit hypocritical, but the most outwardly, devoutly religious people. They claimed righteousness, but they never, they never embraced the message of the prophets, Jesus said. Well, what was the message of the prophets? The message of the prophets that a Messiah would come, the fulfillment of all those Old Testament sacrifices that God did command, that the Messiah would come. And Jesus said that the Pharisees were just like those who killed the prophets. They wouldn't receive the news about Jesus Christ. The prophets told of a future day when when the Messiah would come, the suffering, bleeding Lamb of God who would die for the sins of the people. And Jesus said the Pharisees rejected the message of the prophets just as surely as their ancestors who killed those prophets for their words. Paul talked about this kind of righteousness, self-righteousness. He talked about it in his own conversion experience. Here's an interesting text. If you want to look it up, it's Philippians 3. There's five verses here, verses 2 to 7. Philippians 3, 2 to 7. Some strange words here that need an explanation. Look what Paul says. Philippians 3, 2. Look out for the dogs. Wow. Look out for the doers. Evildoers. doers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about circumcision, the Jewish Jewish laws regarding circumcision. Verse 3, For we, Paul talks about himself now, converted, a follower of Christ. We are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glorify Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself I have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Now look at this phrase, it's important. As to righteousness, that's what we're talking about. As to righteousness under the law, Paul says, blameless. Wow, blameless doesn't mean a perfect human being, but in terms of keeping all those religious, those punctilious religious regulations of Judaism, Paul says, I, you couldn't find anything wrong with what I was doing. I was passionately devout. Then he says, but whatever gain I had, verse 7, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. There's no... Uh, I mean, I can't comment on all those verses. My only point is there's a a kind of righteousness, self-righteousness. We're looking at the negative way of the three uses, the negative way righteousness is used in the New Testament. There's a kind of self-righteousness that is totally contrary to what God wants to do in my life through Christ. And it's counterproductive to inner humility, inner holiness. And just this point, usually... That, that term, it, it it sounds so impolite that it just kind of jumps out at us when we read it in today's world. That second verse, look out for the dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. You see, usually the Jews in Paul's day used that term to refer to unclean Gentiles, those who were outside the covenant. But the really uh, pungent feature of Paul's words is the way he uses that term to describe not the Gentiles, but his own people, the Jews, who who use circumcision to eliminate the need for the righteousness God granted through Christ. The dogs, Paul talks about, are the religious people, piously working their way around a plan, that excludes the need for Christ, and the righteousness, Paul says, that God provides through Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, and I used to live that way, more zealously than any of the other Jews. He said in, in, in terms of the outward practice of his religion, Paul says he was blameless, in verse 6, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So this righteousness, Paul says, that's what I had to forsake. That's what I had to repent of. My desire to make my life right on my own terms, in my own way. So, so apparently, if Paul is right, I, I need to repent of more than just my bad deeds. No one can come to God through Christ without forsaking self-righteousness. The effort to make my life right on my terms without Jesus Christ, thank you very much. That kind of self-righteousness, Paul says, that's what I had to forsake. That's what I had to turn from. Perhaps I can sum it up this way. Years Years ago, we studied our way right through the book of Galatians, in my Christian ed class in in the South Sanctuary. Boy, I miss those days. And every Christian, as we worked our way through that whole book, every Christian needs to know that there are two ways to miss out on saving grace in Jesus Christ. Two ways. One we know more about, the other we know less. Here's two ways we can miss out on saving grace. First, we can break God's law. I think we understand that. His holy will for our lives, and thus we sin. We're selfish. We don't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're greedy. We know how that list of sin grows. We break the law in some way. We transgress. The law doesn't offer any forgiveness. just pronounces guilt, either in the pages of the Bible or in our own conscience. So we know we miss grace through our bad deeds, our sins, breaking God's law. But there's a second way many people will miss out on saving grace. And they're good people. You can do it without being visibly immoral. It has to do with where you place your trust for acceptance with God. You can, you can marshal and assemble the good deeds of your life and say, here, look it, pretty good. your devotion to humanitarian efforts, your passion to the the keeping of the outward ceremonies of religious observance, whatever it is, you, you can perform these things vigorously, blamelessly. That's what Paul said of himself in that Philippians 3 passage. And you can actually rely on the assembling of these things to create your ladder to heaven and make it somehow to be accepted with God. And to the extent that anyone fails to turn to God's redemption in Christ Jesus. Paul says there's a righteousness, Romans 10, that comes from God. I was People were ignorant of it. The righteousness that comes from God. It's not from you to God. It's from God to you in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ to the extent that, that anyone rejects that, okay? Regardless of the good deeds. The Bible says... The wrath of God remains on good people who reject Jesus Christ. That's in John three thirty-six. Look it up. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. My, my self-righteousness does not lift the wrath of God from my life. So so the simple rule here is this, as we wrap up. It's really important. God only allows salvation on terms for which he receives glory. If any glory goes to me for my righteous deeds, then that righteousness is self-righteousness. In other words, salvation isn't just for outwardly really, really bad people. We all need the righteousness God provides through Jesus Christ. We can't accrue our own good deeds and please Almighty God. The attempt to do so, John 3.36, leaves us under God's wrath. We need Jesus. Good people need Jesus. So we're just beginning our introduction to Paul's fourth step in that training process, training in righteousness. But we, but we need to be clear what kind of righteousness God wants to produce. We're going to look look at this more. So there's these three ways righteousness is used in the scripture. We just looked at one. I said one is negative, two are positive. The negative is self-righteousness. And we need to understand that or or we will, without even intending it, If if we who are redeemed already, if we don't remember this and replay it in our hearts and in our minds so we know it well, It will limit our our love and devotion and appreciation to all God has done for us in Christ. So it's, it's an important study. We'll finish more of it next Sunday night. Let's pray. We're thankful, Lord Jesus, for a righteousness that has been provided for us, a righteousness we receive by faith. Truly, we will walk in it. But it starts with grace and the free gift. The righteousness, Paul says, God provides through Jesus Christ for all people, good, bad, religious, atheists. And so we come back again. We come back again to the cross of Christ and, and, and we anchor our hearts there in your mercy, grace, and provision Bless your word to our hearts. Help us never to grow tired of studying and learning and applying it. We want to be. We want to see profit from your word in our hearts through teaching, reproof, correction, and now training in righteousness. Let it all unfold by your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have a neat video, Krista and Sarah Emmanuel in Chennai, India. We've been supporting them for years You'll get a bit of an update from them and then join us for our prayer time. God bless you, church. Love one another.